If health professionals think a person with dementia is behaving in a way that places their health at risk or is a danger to themselves or others, they can be detained in hospital under Section 2 of the Mental Health Act so that they can be assessed. This process is often known as sectioning or being sectioned and is often a challenging time for the person with dementia and their families. As the term sectioning often has negative connotations, in this podcast we were referring to the process of placing someone under a section of the Mental Health Act. Hello, I'm Hannah, and in this edition of the podcast, I speak to helpline advisor Emma about the Mental Health Act, guardianship and aftercare services. What is the Mental Health Act of 1983, and how does this differ from the Mental Capacity Act of 2005? So the Mental Health Act, which was formed in 1983, protects the rights of people who have been assessed as having a disorder or disability of the mind, which may put their health at risk or lead them to pose a significant risk to others. And this can include dementia, which as a condition um, may cause serious self-neglect and or extreme changes in a person's behaviour. This law, so the Mental Health Act of 1983, is relevant in England and Wales, In Northern Ireland, the equivalent legislation is based on the Mental Health Order of 1986. So that's the Mental Health Act. The Mental Capacity Act, which was formed in 2005, protects and supports people who do not have the ability to make decisions for themselves with regards to their property, finances, health or social care. The difference between the laws is quite subtle. The Mental Health Act is used to allow health professionals Um, health services to safely contain, assess and potentially treat a person whose mental disorder is putting them or others at risk of harm. The Mental Capacity Act aims to protect people who, due to their condition, don't have the ability to make decisions about certain aspects of their life. So the difference here is the level of risk the person with dementia is at through the presence and impact of their mental disorder and therefore the level of intervention required. The Mental Health Act protects people whose mental disorder has impeded their ability to recognise the harm they are posing to themselves or others, and the Mental Capacity Act protects people whose decision-making about life necessities has diminished or fluctuates. We've got to take care about which bit of law is most appropriate to safeguard a person with dementia at a particular time. There are aspects of the Mental Capacity Act which cannot be used if the Mental Health Act would be the more relevant bit of law. This is because the Mental Health Act involves the assessment and possible treatment of a person who has become at risk, whereas the Mental Capacity Act is more about safeguarding a person when they cannot make decisions for themselves. The Mental Health Act should be used as a last resort It is a stronger intervention and so generally should only be used when absolutely necessary and nothing else has worked. What are the different parts of the Mental Health Act? So the Mental Health Act has over 100 parts which are called sections. Um, Often we may hear the term being sectioned or that someone has been sectioned or sectioning. And these phrases come from the fact that the parts of the Act are called sections and some can be used to hold someone against their will, but within the law. It is sometimes used as a derogative term, so actually we try to avoid it. Some parts of the Act are more relevant for people living with dementia and their carers. So section one will define a mental disorder. 
Section 2 gives authority for health services to hold a person for a maximum of 28 days to assess their mental state. Section 3 is something that may happen after Section 2. So a Section 2 may lead to a Section 3 if the clinical team feels it is appropriate and beneficial to hold the person for further treatment. This tends to be for an initial period of six months, followed by a review, and then perhaps an extension of six months, which will then be followed by yearly extensions after that. The other section that's relevant is Section 117, and this deals with aftercare, so following someone's discharge from a Section 3 stay in hospital. It describes how statutory authorities have a duty to make arrangements for a person's continuing care and support, and this must be free of charge. What kind of implications does the Mental Health Act have for people living with dementia? Sometimes the progression of dementia through the brain can have a huge impact on a person's behaviour, thoughts and feelings. It may cause a person to behave erratically or unsafely. They may have limited insight um, and they may put themselves or others at risk of harm. The Mental Health Act allows an intervention by health professionals to contain, assess and potentially treat a person without their consent. It's used primarily when it is felt that a person cannot make informed decisions about their own safety and need for treatment. And when I say treatment, this might include the use of medication or just the effect of being in a place where there are mental health professionals on hand to offer really intensive support. Under what circumstances might placing someone under the Mental Health Act be the appropriate course of action? The damage dementia causes to the brain will be largely unique to each person living with the condition. This means that people can react to the condition very differently. Sometimes this reaction can be a risk to the safety of the person or others. For example, some people may develop unusual symptoms maybe unbearable distress or really acute hallucinations and sometimes perhaps aggressive or violent behaviour. Broadly speaking, the risk to safety falls into a couple of areas. A person may pose a risk to themselves, they may neglect themselves and this may have an impact on their health. They may put themselves in danger or they may put others in danger and so other people may need protecting. It's important to note that health professionals don't actually have to wait until someone is showing extreme behaviour to place someone with dementia under the Mental Health Act. However, in practice, it's very difficult to obtain a place in hospital until someone's behaviour progresses to an extreme. How does the process of placing someone under the Mental Health Act work? So generally speaking, the nearest relative can make an application or perhaps it will be an application by an approved mental health professional, but they will have to consult with the nearest relative first. The next stage is where two independent registered medical practitioners, so one has to have specific experience working with mental disorders, and the other must be someone who knows the person, such as a GP. So they must see the patient within 14 days and within five days of each other, and they both need to confirm in writing the need for using a section of the Mental Health Act.
Perhaps important to note here that the nearest relative has powers of objection here, but these may be overruled. The third bit of the process is that once a person is being held under the Mental Health Act, um, there may be a review meeting. This is where the clinical team meet and a nearest relative is, is appointed if they haven't been already. And there's a kind of round of introductions. So the nearest relative can meet the responsible clinician. Everyone, we would hope, would have a group discussion about what has happened and what the options are for moving forwards. What are the consequences of being placed under the Mental Health Act for a person with dementia? The Mental Health Act allows a person with dementia to be held in a secure place for a certain amount of time without being allowed to leave even if they express their wish to do so. They may also have to adhere to treatment if it is deemed necessary and appropriate by the clinical team. Another consequence may be that property may need to be taken care of if the person is to be held under the Mental Health Act for a significant amount of time. The Care Act of 2014 does place a duty on local authorities to secure and protect a person's property if they're held under the Mental Health Act and we would hope that an approved mental health professional would remind the local authority to meet this duty. A further consequence of being held in a hospital environment is that someone's benefits may cease. After 28 days, attendance allowance, disability allowance or the personal independence payment will actually be stopped and so a cessation in these benefits can also impact on a person's eligibility for other benefits such as carer's allowance and pension credit. So how can you support someone who is being placed under the Mental Health Act? Someone offering support um, may want to attend review meetings with the clinical team so they can keep up to date with how the person is doing and how their, their care is progressing. They may also want to be involved in the upkeep of the person's property and it can be good to liaise with other relatives who either are involved in the care or express an interest in supporting the person under the Mental Health Act. Someone may want to be assigned as the nearest relative. This is generally whoever comes first in the following list. Um, husband, wife, civil partner, son or daughter, father or mother, brother or sister, grandparent, grandchild, uncle, aunt, nephew, niece, and finally, someone, not necessarily a relative, with whom the person normally lives and has done so for at least five years. And so the nearest relative is there to protect the best interests of the person who has been detained. Who then makes the decisions for the person that has been placed under the Mental Health Act? Clinical decisions regarding the support or treatment for the mental disorder would largely fall to the clinical team except for general medical procedures where consent must still be sought. However, the nearest relative has certain powers. They can challenge an admission under Section 3. So this means they can question whether someone needs to move from a Section 2 to a Section 3. They can apply for, dis they can apply for the discharge of someone held under a Section 2 or a Section 3. And they can also request for someone to be detained under a Section 2 or a Section 3. Important to note that the nearest relative can be displaced. This is when that role is taken away from someone. This can happen if they attempt to discharge a person without due regard for their health or safety or what is happening and if it transpires that they're not actually suitable to act as the nearest relative.
what aftercare should be provided for a person with dementia if they've been placed under the Mental Health Act and then discharged? The aftercare available falls under section 117 and this describes how support and care after being discharged from a section 3 should be provided free of charge. The other thing that's available is guardianship and this is where a guardian is assigned by the local authority if the local authority consider it necessary for the welfare of the person or the protection of the general public. So a guardian's powers are centred around the residence and location of the person who has been discharged. So that might be where they live, how to get them to the place they're going to live, um, returning them to this place if they leave without permission, or perhaps getting them to appointments or arranging appointments to come to them. So kind of restricting their liberty slightly, but not detaining them. Who is responsible for that aftercare? So it's kind of a joint responsibility between local authorities and NHS clinical commissioning groups. They need to work together to provide aftercare services free of charge until the patient no longer needs them. How does that affect how the care is paid for? So Section 117 stipulates that the person who has been held under the Section 3, treated and discharged, should not be accountable for their treatment or aftercare costs. With the CARE Act that was introduced in 2014, um, there is the opportunity for a person to make a top-up if they want to pay for accommodation extras. And it's not an obligation, um, but it is an opportunity that is available. Care must be given when deciding if to remove the aftercare provided under Section 117, as the aftercare that a person is receiving is often a primary factor in their ongoing stability, and its sudden removal may actually result in a person needing to go back into hospital under the Mental Health Act for further support. What support is available for a person with dementia who has been placed under the Mental Health Act and their family? So a hospital should arrange access to a specialist advocate, which is called an independent mental health advocate, or an IMHA. And this is someone that the family can talk to about the process, about the rights of the person being held under section, and what to expect in the, in the process. Um, and ultimately, an IMHA is there to make sure that the person being held under the Mental Health Act still has a voice. The other kind of support that might be helpful is the patient advice and liaison service, which all hospitals should have. And this team should be able to give general advice on the Mental Health Act and how to contact the responsible clinician for more information. This team will also be able to advise on the complaints process, should it be needed. So where can you go for more information and support? The family of a person that has been held under the Mental Health Act have quite a few options. They can call the National Dementia Helpline. They may want to use the online forum Talking Point. They could have a look online at NHS Choices. 
and they can access an independent mental health advocate and this should be facilitated by the hospital or the hospital should signpost towards an appropriate service. If that doesn't happen then there's an organisation called Power and they can direct a person towards mental health advocacy services in some areas and other forms of advocacy as well. Thank you for listening to the Alzheimer's Society podcast.